This morning we continue in our year-long worship series entitled Living the Liturgical Year. The text that we're going to be looking at today is the epistle reading for today from the book of Hebrews. We'll be reading from chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And I invite you to listen to God's word to us this day. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that no matter who we are or how we come together and worship today, that we would hear and experience your gospel, your good news, and it would transform us forever. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So friends, in this passage of scripture from Hebrews chapter 12, Paul is talking about our lives and how we are to live our lives. And he gives us an analogy that I think is important and I want us to dive into for a second where he says that when you think about the kind of life you want to live, he says, think of it like a race. What does it mean to run the race set before you? So I want to, just for a couple of seconds, because we, we need to really pay attention to this analogy, I want to interact with you just for a second, uh, because we have some people who race here. We have some trail runners. We have some uh, half marathon runners and marathon runners, and we even have some triathletes here, and we don't like you all very much because you make the rest of us look bad, but we have you here, and everyone's welcome. Everyone's welcome. Um, but even if you haven't run a race in quite a while, my guess is you did. It might have been field day a long time ago, but my guess is all of us at some time in our life have had to run a race. And if I ask you, and Paul's saying, if you want to live a great race, you need to think of it like a race. If I said this week you need to go and to run a race, what would you need to do to run a race well? What goes into that? Preparing. Okay, what else? Practice, yeah. Stamina, the right equipment, yeah. You don't want to go run a marathon and flip-flops, yep. Eat healthy, you're right. What's that? Motivation, absolutely. Yeah, I still don't know why people would run a triathlon, but they do. Um, if you think about all of those things, you gotta train the right way. My brother's a triathlete, I'm okay with that. I'm not competitive about it. I'm totally, I am totally okay with the fact my brother's a better athlete than me. You see how natural that came out? My brother's a better athlete than me. I'm totally comfortable with that. My younger brother is a better athlete than me. It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. Anyway. For him, the night before the race is a big deal, right? What are you going to eat? As we talked about, what equipment do you have? Do you have the right uh, shoes? Is, your, uh, is, is everything ready? Have you motivated yourselves the right way? But if you stop and think about it, the first thing we said, each and every one of those falls under the idea that you have to train well, that you have to prepare well. Even if it's, I got to make certain I have the right equipment, that's getting ready in advance. If I, uh, I want to make sure I eat the right meal or rest the way, right way the night before, that's all part of preparing and getting ready. Nobody runs a great race without training. Maybe like some of you, I had to learn this the hard way. At age 13, my dad came to me and said, Thomas, do you wanna run the Peachtree Road Race this year together? 
Now, growing up in Atlanta, the Peachtree Road Race is a big deal. It's a huge race that takes uh, place in the middle of Atlanta, uh, right through the heart of the city on Peachtree Road uh, on July 4th every year. It's one of the biggest races in the country. And uh, it's a 10K race, 6.2 miles. And miles three to four are uphill uh, most of the way. And he said, you know, I, I, you want to run it? I was like, yeah, I, that'd be great. I'd love to run it with you. And so my dad was not in great shape at the time. This is months beforehand. So he started training. He started running some days after work. He started running on the weekends some. And he'd always ask me, do you want to go run? And I was like, no. <laughs> He's like, why? I was like, for several reasons. One, it's boring. Two, it's hard. Three, it's boring. And four, it's hard. And I don't like it. Plus, number five, I am on my middle school basketball team, which means I'm an athlete and I can handle whatever this is. So you go train and I'm gonna shoot baskets and this is gonna be fine. Now, 13 years old, July 4th rolls around. I've done no training at all. We get out there to start our 6.2 mile run and I'm like all hyped out, which I'm sure you have a hard time imagining. Like they're kind of like all in the crowd, ready to go, tens of thousands of runners. The running race starts and I start running, right? And my dad's just doing his like run, his like just little jog. And I'm like, dude, and I'm like, I'm going. I started running backwards in front of him. I'm like, come on, old man. Come on, old man. You keep up with me? Come on, old man. I'm turning around. I'm talking to other runners that are there. Uh, they didn't want to talk to me, but I was like talking still and we're going. Mile one finishes. Come on, old man. Come on, again. keep up with me. This is great. Rocky music was playing. You're going on. I said, dun, 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 dun. I'm like, come on, you know? And then mile two hits. Come on, old man. Mile three hits. And I'm still saying, come on, old man, but it's between breaths. And I'm no longer running backwards. I'm just running forward. And that's where the uphill starts. By the time the fourth mile marker hit and we had gone uphill for most of that mile, I was no longer talking. In fact, I wasn't sure and I was breathing, but I got to the top and I was technically still jogging, although walkers were passing us at that point. <laughs> and I saw when I got to the till, top of the hill, a water station over there and I just like cut over in front of my dad, cut over in front of all of these racers. Not just because there was water, but people had stopped to drink the water. And that was like the best thing. So I slowed down, I got a drink, I made, I didn't want to spill it, so I stopped, you know, took it and everything else, and then started running. My dad just kind of kept going. And then I started running again, but I was still tired. And then there was a water station on the other side of the road. This is a huge road in Atlanta. And I cut all the way over, stop and get some water, take some, going. Other side of the road, fire hydrants being let loose to like douse the runners and cool them off. I cut all the way back over again. My dad said that there was a 6.2 mile race. I ran about seven miles because I was just looping back and forth through these things. And then by the time we hit the fifth and final mile, that's when my dad started talking. What's wrong? Can't keep up with an old man? What's wrong? I don't hear you talking now. I don't hear you say anything. Uh, you like, come on. And then he like ran at the end and beat me like bad at the end of the race. And I heard about it for months. I heard about it for years afterwards. In fact, when he was dying and under hospice care and I went back to Atlanta, one day I just wanted to get out and ran, went for a jog. And as my dad's there, he's looking at me, he's like, I remember the last time we ran together. <laughs> he said, hard to keep up with an old man, isn't it? You're not going to run a race well if you don't train. Paul's saying that the way to think of your life 
is that we are called to run the race set before us. And this is an athletic analogy, but it's not just about athletics. It's about every part of life. If you don't train well, you are not going to run a good race. If you don't prepare, you're not going to magically just be able to do it. This is fall kickoff Sunday here. We know this week, this is based on the school calendar, that our elementary school, middle school, high school uh, students and educators are going back. We know that college students are going back. We know that our grad school students in this community are starting classes. There are going to be a lot of them who are going to be wanting to make good grades this year. And the fact is, if you want to make good grades, you can't do it if you don't train right. If you sit there and say, it's like, I want to make really good grades, I want to run a great race, but I skip class, or I sleep through class, and I don't take notes, and I don't do the reading, and I don't study for the test, guess what? You're not going to run a great race. Running great races doesn't magically happen. You don't wing it. If you don't prepare, you're not going to run the race well that's set before us. That's true in work, uh, vocationally for us. That's true in relationships. Think about it this way. Uh, imagine that you are going out on a date next Friday night, right? You ask somebody out on a date. Whether it's your spouse, it's a good thing to keep dating your spouse. Whether it's uh, you're asking somebody out on a date, you know, uh, whether you're hoping to ask somebody out on a date and it's a first date. If you ask somebody out and they say yes, and at Friday night arrives and you go to pick them up or you get ready to leave the house and your person looks at you and is like, what are we gonna go? And you're like, I don't know, I haven't thought about it. It's not gonna go well. You are not gonna run a great race. Whereas if you go, got dinner reservations here, we're meeting friends here, I got concert tickets here. The preparation, the training makes it go better. You don't just show up in life or relationships and wing it and hope something good happens. In all parts of life that are significant, if you want to run a great race, if you want to live a great life, it doesn't happen if you don't prepare for it. But what the Bible says is you're gonna reap what you sow. And that's how I think we have to think about faith as well. Hear about the life of faith. Paul writes here about Jesus and the joy that Jesus has. Oh, I want that joy. Fruit of the Spirit, patience, peace, love. Oh, oh I want that. So I want to have a rich spiritual life. I want to be close to God. I want to feel spiritually alive. I want to have all that. It doesn't just magically happen to people. You don't become something that you haven't trained for. And that's how I'd like us to think about this day, this kickoff Sunday. It's not about church activities and signing up for them. That this is the time to stop and ask yourself and ask your family, ask in your life the spiritual question of what kind of life do I want to live? And if the kind of life I want to live is one of joy and peace and justice and the things of the gospel, then I need to stop and take account of my life and ask him, am I building the right habits? Am I training in the right race to run and to run this race well? Or am I just busy? And that's the spiritual question put before us. This is how spiritual formation happens. I love what Paul does here because he says in verse 2 that it's not just we who have to think this way, but he said Jesus actually had to think this way. He says Jesus is the perfecter of how we run the race of life and what that's supposed to look like. Now, what does that mean? Well, he says here that it's about the joy he accepts through the cross and how the cross uh, is, you know, what we believe as Christians, the most significant event in human history where we see that love triumphs over hate, that life triumphs over death, that justice is, 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 is what, how God's economy works in this world, where hope lives. 
But how does the cross come about? How does Jesus' formation to, to run a race where that happens takes place? Think about this. One of the things that we sometimes miss, and, and I'm not certain we do this well in, in the church, is that we pay attention to the right things. So, for example, if you read any of the four Gospels, a huge percentage of the Gospels is devoted to Holy Week and to the events of the cross. A huge percentage of the Gospels. We do it in like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then move on. Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Easter, move on now. The percentage of the church year we spend in the, in, the, in the events of Holy Week and the cross is way out of whack with how the Gospels are written. What I hope you remember is, though, is that on Monday, Thursday, on the Thursday night, the night that Judas Iscariot goes and betrays Jesus. If you remember, Jesus goes out to the Garden of Gethsemane as he's waiting for the lynch mob to come and get him, as he's waiting for the torture and for the death that he knows is coming. And as he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prays with his disciples. And what he does is he prays this prayer, and he says, Lord, let this cup pass from my hands. And he's saying, I don't want this. I don't want this pain. I don't want this torture. I don't want the death that's coming. We can all relate to that, can't we? I, Lord, let this cup pass from my hands. I don't want to drink from it. But, he says, not my will, but thy will be done. Paul says that that attitude is how you become a part of something bigger than yourself. That kind of purpose is joy, C.S. Lewis says, in this world. And Jesus steps into something that brings hope and love and life into this world that can't be quenched. I don't know that there's like a top ten list of prayers, but I would tell you that that prayer on Thursday night is maybe the most consequential prayer in history. Where a choice is made by Jesus. To live out the will of the Father, even though it's not what he wants for himself. Those words, not my will, but thy will be done. They should sound familiar. Because if you come here, you'll realize that those are words that we say every week. And the words we say every week, that we're going to say later in this service, that say that, are a part of the scriptures that come earlier. And earlier in the Gospels, Jesus has this habit of going off and praying by himself. And when he comes back, the disciples finally ask him, like, how do you pray? How do you do that? What do you pray? Teach us, they say, to pray, which I can relate to. Sometimes it's really hard to pray. Lord, teach me to pray. And Jesus says, okay, he says, when you go off and pray, pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, not my will but thy will be done. Jesus didn't magically become something more in that moment than what he had been training for his whole life. And neither will you, and neither will I. What kind of race do you want to run in your life? What kind of life do you want to live? If you identify it as one that is spiritually alive, then that's not going to just randomly happen. We have to prepare and train. How do we do that? Well, here at Covenant, and our ministry guide is divided up this way, you'll see that we have not tried to invent anything new. What we've done is we said there are real habits in Jesus' life that shaped and formed him. And so we divide and break up our whole ministry life and all of our programming by following these three habits, these three disciplines. We see that in Jesus, these three things exist, and they need to exist in us. We've talked about them like three legs of a three-legged stool. Each leg is essential. All of us need to practice these habits. 
The first thing in our ministry guide, the first habit, as we've talked about here before, is the practice of solitude, of being able to go off and pray, as we talked about Jesus doing, just going off and praying, spending time with God, having a healthy relationship with God, being spiritually alive in our hearts and in our souls, being connected to God who is bigger than us. So the first part of our ministry guide talks about the prayer labyrinth that's outside that you can come and learn to use that rhythm to pray. There's the daily devotion that you can sign up for that has a way of not just looking at scripture, as important as that is, but also the practice of the examine and how you pay attention to that. There are all kinds of ways in this that you can practice this discipline, which is essential for all of us, solitude. The second thing we see in the life of Jesus is not just solitude, but he also lives in community. And that's the second of these legs of the three-legged stool. We live in a world today in Western culture that is becoming increasingly individualistic and increasingly about me and the world I am going to live in. The Gospels say that flourishing in life doesn't happen that way. It happens when we live in community, when we do life together. It's so important, we said this earlier, that every person here is not just part of a crowd on Sundays, but you have a pocket of community in which you are living in. So the second part of our ministry guide is devoted to that. Small group ministries, women's Bible studies, men's Bible studies, all different kinds of ways for every age and stage of life for you to start practicing life with other people, for people to know who you are and how to pray for you and for you to do the same with them. It's so essential. There's things for younger adults. It's one of the great things that's kind of started bubbling up here is that you'll see in there that we have a new young adults ministry and we have people in their 20s and 30s. I know some of you feel like you're young still, but you've got to be in your 20s and 30s to do this. And, and this thing has started kind of growing and flourishing. We have things for older adults where you can come in and Bible studies and in fellowship and in speaker series where you can share in your life with other people and learn and be shaped in the same way. Solitude is the first. Community is the second. And the third and final thing that you'll see in the ministry guide that all of us need to be practicing to train to run the race of life well is service. To be thinking about something bigger than just yourself. To see that we live in a world where there is injustice, a world where there are needs, and that God has called us to be the ones to fill the gap and to meet those needs. We're doing that right now, for example. School's getting started. I know this is a busy time. It is in our family too. There's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of preparation. But what we've asked you to do is to bring uh, materials and resources for, for students here to this church so that we can give them away because as stressful as it is for us, like another run to Target and I gotta get all this stuff. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of families in this city who cannot provide the basic things needed for their children to even have a chance at education. And we can step into that gap. And I know when you're shopping, you're like, oh, I got, I got to think about this too. And now they're asking me to think about these. Yes! Because when you lift your eyes up and think about something bigger than your own stressful little world, life becomes something better than what you do if it's just about me and my kids and my life and my way of being. It rescues us. But you've got to build in those habits, solitude, community, and service. And if we practice those and we discipline ourselves, that's how you train to run a life of significance. That's how you train, we see in the Gospels, to run the race of life well. I saw a great example of that this week that I want to close with. An example that probably uh, some of you saw, it was kind of a viral moment captured on video. And I think it speaks in a lot of ways to what we're talking about in this passage. The video was of a 12-year-old boy named Isaiah Jarvis. 
Now, what you need to know about Isaiah Jarvis is that Isaiah Jarvis is a, a pretty amazing baseball player at age 12. Um, to, to qualify for the highest level, the, the Little League World Series, which is for 12 and under teams, you have to uh, try out, you have to go through multiple tryouts to get a part of a regional team. And Isaiah made the Oklahoma State 12 and under baseball team. This is a great athlete, he's a great baseball player. He could probably run a 10K without <laughs> thinking about it, right? His team was a very good team, and they advanced all the way through the regionals. And just a few days ago, this past week in Waco, Texas, they were playing, and the winner of the game that was being played in Waco would go to the Little League World Series. It's the biggest game of any of their lives. And in this game, they're playing a team from East Texas. In the first inning, Isaiah came to the plate to bat. And this is what happened. Oh, look out. That's awesome. Wow, that is a tough kid right there. This is really cool because as a pitcher, Bubs looks shaken up right now because of what he did. And look at Zay Jarvis. This is such great sportsmanship. He wants him to know that it's okay, that he'll be fine. Hey, Bob. Look, look at me. Look at me. You're all right. Amazing. You're all right. Look at me. Hey, look, look. What a stud right there. Zay Jarvis. There was a reporter this week who said that that was the hug heard around the world and the hug we all need right now in our world, in our nation, in our society. I was touched by this as well, along with many other people. And the reason I show it, though, today is not just because of the act there, but of two interviews I saw about this afterwards that are really important. The first interview took place just after the game, just after these events. It was a national reporter was asking Isaiah Jarvis, 12-year-old boy. She, she, she was, I mean, she was touched, like we all were. And she said, this was just amazing. You're standing there. You've just been hit in the head with a fastball. You know, and, and you see the pitcher upset. And you go over there and you give him a hug. What were you thinking? What was going through your mind? And this 12-year-old boy said, first off, I didn't want him to think I was going to hit him. <laughs> but he said, as I stood there on first base, sawing him crying, I wondered how I could show the love and compassion of Jesus. How could I show? 12 years old, just been hit in the head with a baseball. How can I show the love and compassion of Jesus? Now, national reporters with how they talk about Christianity have no idea how to respond to that anymore. <laughs> and so this woman was like, well, you know, it's good sportsmanship. And I was watching going, no, 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 that's not what he said. That's not what he said. He didn't say sportsmanship. He actually wasn't sitting there going, I just wanted to be a really kind person. No, I want world peace. No, that's not what he said. 
He said, how do I exhibit the love and compassion of Jesus right now? That's not a I'm a kind person thing. That's a discipleship question. We need to listen to what he said. And I'm watching that going, what an amazing thing. How does a 12-year-old think, what would Jesus do in this moment? How I want to live. That's, and that's running a great race with your life. You keep living that, and over the course of your life, you, it will be amazing the kind of life you're going to live. How, how do you do that? I want to run that race. I want my children to run that kind of race. How does that happen? How does someone think that way? Is he just born differently than the rest of us? And that led to the second interview. The second interview was with his little league coach. People were so touched by the story, they were interviewing anyone that had any knowledge of this kid. It's like his dog walker, his gardener, like anybody associated with him. But they interviewed his coach, and listen to this. They said, you know, you, you see this, and the world's just been so touched and shocked by this. And the coach had this amazing comment. The coach said, I know people have been shocked and touched by this. And I understand why. I think the only people who weren't shocked by it were his teammates and his coaches. He didn't do anything different than how he conducts himself every single day. This time, it just happened to be on ESPN. You don't run a great race in life if you don't train for it, if you don't prepare for it, if you don't look as even at 12 years old, day after day going, how do I exhibit the love and compassion of Jesus? When the cameras roll and the moment hits, you're not gonna run a race well. We're not asking you to take your busy life and figure out how to weave in some church activities to become more busy. What we're inviting you to do this day is to ask yourself the question, what kind of race do you wanna run with your life? What kind of life do you wanna live? What kind of things do you wanna stand for? Do your actions and your trainings align with the things you say are important or are you just busy and stressed out? Because you can have a life that is full of the joy that Paul writes here that Jesus knew. Full of the things of life that we want. But it will not happen to you randomly or by accident. you got to train and prepare for the kind of life you want to live. And we hope that each and every one of you will consider how you can run this race better. How you can come run it together with us. And that today will be a day when you will consider what the opportunities for your further growth can look like. There's an invitation being extended to every single one of you to run this race together. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we ask you to lead us, guide us as your people, that we would run our race well by knowing the habits to build as we train. Help us to do that this year individually as families as a congregation, and we lift this prayer up in the name of Jesus. Amen.